Amen. Ooh, that was loud. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I've certainly been enjoying this warmer weather. It's got me into camping mode, but there's still snow on the ground, so that's a little bit difficult. But anyway, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, if this is your first time tuning in, my name is David. I'm a pastor here and a member of the preaching team. I'm glad that you're joining us today. We've been in a three-week mini-series in the middle of the book of Exodus. We took a break and we've been examining this idea that we are, as Christians, citizens of the kingdom of God. But we are also citizens of an earthly kingdom. And sometimes there's a tension there because we like to think and act a certain way because we are Americans. But the kingdom of God might call us to think and act in different ways. And, and just to recap, this being the third week, the first week, we looked at the cycle of misinformation how we live in an age where everyone's saying all sorts of stuff online. It's hard to tell what is true, and, and God has actually called us to escape that cycle of misinformation, that we can think deeply, biblically, and prayerfully. And then last week, uh, we, we covered the issue of syncretism, that sometimes we can take false worldviews and ideas and weave them into our Christianity, and that can be really dangerous. And, and this, uh, this sermon today is entitled, Think or Do. Wh which matters most? Does it matter more um, that we act a certain way? That our actions line up with the actions of those around us? Or does it matter more that we think a certain way? That we believe the same things as the people around us and we affirm the same ideas as the people around us? This is, this is a big question, uh, this is a big debate when it comes to any culture, and it's one that's raging in our culture right now, even though we probably don't notice it. Uh, the other two uh, sermons have been on topics that are kind of in the forefront of our mind. This is something that kind of is a covert idea, it's a covert tension. What matters most in society? Does a person live and act well by our standards, or do, does a person affirm what we affirm? How we answer this question might even determine what generation we're from. So we're going to get into, into that mess today. And which answer we lean towards is definitely going to affect our view of the church and the Christian life. So, so let's pray as we get into this. Oh, Father, please lead us in truth. Today, may these words be yours and not my own. May the sermon be in your strength. Lord, please give us discernment and help us to be drawn to your truth, to your gospel. In the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I, I want to I preface the, this, this sermon with a few statements. Um, first of all, I'm going to use some generalizations and the thing about generalizations is they point at general ideas, but they're not true of every single person. So you might be sitting here today, and you might hear me say something that if you're this age, you might think this way, and if you're this age, you might think this way, and you'll say, well, that's not true of me at all. Praise the Lord. These are just generalizations. They're not meant to be some, some statement that defines your life, but I think it's helpful for us to look at our culture, to look at the generations, and to see what people think in contrast with God's word. 
Uh, and, and, and beyond that, I want to say this, that everyone has behaviors and beliefs that they do not tolerate. I, I do not think that you will find a person that, that fully says all that matters is what you believe and your actions are meaningless. Even if they might say that, they don't live that way, right? Everyone has certain actions that they believe people should or shouldn't do and certain beliefs that people should or shouldn't do. But we're going to look at some extremes today. So, so one extreme over here, we're, we're going to go back in American history a bit. Uh, the American experiment is somewhat unique. And that up until the point of the founding of our nation, most of the, the countries in Europe, most of the nations in Europe, did not have a separation of church and state. It was very much that there was a certain church, a certain denomination, whether it was that, that was the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or the Church of England, that was part of the government and controlled what people believed. That if you did not affirm what the state church affirmed, you were often in trouble. And, and, and America was different in that, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of religious turmoil in the colonies, but once the country formed, there was this idea that there was a separation of church and state. And so your neighbor can be from a different denomination, they can have a different religion. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you live the American way, you embrace the American dream. And so this is an extreme that that is very much, very much emphasizes what you do over what you believe. That it's much more important that you live the American way. I mean, you can believe whatever you want about God and, and, and science, but as long as you live the American way, everything's okay. Believe what you want to believe, just live the American way. And I believe this old school American mindset has been even made more extreme in the old school Mainer mindset. I think as, as Mainers, we are generally more threatened by changes to our lifestyle than, than differences of opinions and ideas of the people around us. Uh, Maine has a wide diversity of political views. In fact, Hollis is, like one, is, is a very moderate area. They're very conservative. They're very liberal areas in our state. I think Mainers less care about what your neighbor believes, but you do care about whether they're going to start a homeowner's association, right? That we we care much more about our lifestyle being threatened. Are they going to pave the road? Are my taxes are going to be raised? We care way more about our lifestyle being threatened than what the people around us believe. This is is very much an emphasis on your, your value in society is based off how hard you work what you do. That is your value in society. When people in Maine tend to talk about the virtue of their grandparents, almost every single time, what is it about? It's about they built this shed, they built the camp, they built this house, they worked three jobs, they put me through college. These are, these are the standards that we lift up previous generations by, generally speaking, is how hard they worked. That, that how hard you work in society is where your value is. And then you have an extreme over here, which is the Marxist socialist idea. You know, Marxism has a lot of socialism involved in it, and and it's a philosophy that heavily emphasizes your class. It highly emphasizes the structures that, that exist in a government, and that if we can change the way people think, 
if we can get people to reject religion and embrace this philosophy of working for the common good, if we, if we can get everyone mentally on the same page, if we can abolish the class structures, then we're going to enter into this utopia. This was an idea that, that, that prospered, uh, that's kind of a loose term, but became very popular in the Soviet Union, uh, became popular in Hitler's Germany, right, in the early part of the 20th century. And, and, and of course, Marxist-controlled areas did care a lot about how you lived, right? There were, there were strict rules on how you lived, but the philosophy itself heavily emphasizes what you believe. Marxist countries had wars on religion, that, that it was a crime just to believe in God. You had to accept the mindset, the Marxist mindset, or you were an enemy of the state. So over here, we have this idea of believe what you want to believe, just live the American way. And over here, you have this idea that says, accept our way of thinking and we will live in utopia. Now, now both mindsets care about how you act and what you believe, but there's an emphasis. Right? The old school American way, believe what you want to believe, but live the American way. And over here is, you know, morally, you can kind of do whatever you want, but you need to think the way we think. You need to accept our mentality. And we can actually observe the difference in these two ideas in the generations that are currently alive in America. In, in older generations, very much this old-school American mindset, the old-school Mainer mindset, is alive and well. That, that, that our value in society is how hard we work. There's an emphasis on doing good things. And the way that this, this plays out in church is really interesting. If we kind of rewind back in the day before I was born, there were, there were two extremes in churches that, had, that kind of popped up, and that was legalism on one hand, and then the other hand was a, a liberal Christianity that really threw out a ton of theology but heavily emphasized good works. And these are the churches today that you see struggling. These are the churches that have 10, 15 people left in them, and they are dying in the state of Maine. They are, they are churches that emphasize legalism, that, man, your value before God is what you do. Like, like sure, we believe all this, all this stuff about God, but really, you need to dress this way and not this way. You need to drink this and not that. You can't go to the movies. You can't go here on this day. I, I mean, many of us lived through that period of legalism in the church. And the churches that have clung to that are, are dying. They're, they're, they're elderly. They're, they're passing away. And the same thing is true of the churches that embraced a liberalism where they, they threw out the traditional beliefs of the church and said, no, what really matters is that we just live the principles of Jesus. This would be the Congregationalist churches. This would be the Episcopal churches in Maine. They are struggling to stay alive. In both cases, it's this old school mentality of what matters most is what you do, not what you believe. What matters most is what you do and not what you believe. Now, now young people today, you know, especially millennials and Gen Zers, are actually beginning to be far more influenced by Marxism than traditional American values. And, and so there's a shift happening that, that it's less about what you do. Morally, you can kind of do whatever you want. You can live your own lifestyle. As long as you're not hurting anybody, it doesn't matter 
but you need to affirm what we affirm. You need to support the movements that we support. You need to to accept the people we accept, or there's going to be an issue here. You see the difference? It went from an emphasis on works, what you do, to what you believe, what you affirm. The shift went from this idea of be a good person. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Yeah, be a good person to be a good human. Now, that, that, that doesn't make sense, right? Those are synonymous terms, person, human, human person. But there's a difference. When we talk about being a good person, a person is an individual. A human places you as part of a species. When, when, when previous generations have said, be a good person, they're saying, you as an individual need to do good works. You need to live a good life. And now when young people use this phrase, you'll see it on social media, be a good human. What they're actually saying is you need to affirm the Black Lives Matter movement. You need to affirm the LGBTQ movement. You need to affirm a certain set of core beliefs that we all hold in common. Otherwise, you are not a good human. So they're two very similar terms being used in completely different ways. One is an emphasis on action. One is an emphasis on affirmation and belief. And uh, Dorothy and I were talking about this this morning. In In these two extremes, there's a question that's being addressed. What is wrong with the world and how do we fix it? And over here, we have this, this emphasis on the individual, that, that, that most of the issues in your life are your fault. And the way to fix those issues is to change your behavior. If you can change the way you live, if you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can change the world. And over here, the emphasis is on systems. That if we can restructure the systems in government, the systems in the world, we can rid the world of evil and injustice. And as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, well, which side is true? And the answer is neither, and the answer is both. Because the Christian worldview is that sin has affected everything in this world. That sin affects us individually, and yes, we are called to repentance. We are called to live differently, but sin has also affected the systems of the world. That that there is a worldly system of thinking that we need our minds renewed away from. That there is a demonic system, rulers and principalities that are operating in this world as Christians. We need to recognize that there's truth in both these claims. But to emphasize the idea that, man, if, if everyone just got their act together, we'd live in utopia— Or over here, man, if we just abolish some systems, everything's going to be fine. Neither of those are true. They they both fall short of the truth that everything is touched by sin and needs the work of Jesus. When we look at these extremes, an emphasis on action or an emphasis on belief, we are merely trading one form of hypocrisy for another. Because if we say it doesn't matter what you believe, it's what you do, there's a disconnect between your behavior and your belief. And over here, if we say it doesn't really matter what you do morally, what matters is what you affirm, well, then there's a disconnect between your actions and your belief. Both are forms of hypocrisy. Both are forms of hypocrisy. So, so I'd like to come to our main point. I normally put it in the beginning, but I decided to put it here. 
As Christians, we are saved through faith. That is, believing in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. And our salvation is evidenced by works, and that is a lifestyle of pursuing God and loving others. As Christians, we are saved through faith, and our salvation is evidenced by works. That for the Christian, action and belief should be inseparable. That there should not be in the Christian life an emphasis on works or an emphasis on belief, but we should be experts in both of them. We should be fervently pursuing both of these categories. One by itself is not the solution. In the Christian life, action and belief should be inseparable. Uh, I'd like to turn to the scriptures now with you to, to really get into this. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, this is a a few, couple of verses that you probably studied if you went to Awana or Sunday school. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That, that, that we are made right with God, not because of any good thing that we can possibly do in our lives, but rather is that God came down. That Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. He took the punishment, the wrath of God that us as rebels deserved upon himself. He rose three days later from the grave in victory over death and sin. And so when we put our trust in him, that he has died for us, that he has made that payment for us, we are free We are forgiven, and it's not because of anything good we did. It is a free gift. We cannot boast in how good of a person we are because God's the one who did it, not us. But but it's funny. We often memorize verses 8 and 9 and not verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That if we believe that the God of the universe before the world existed, before we were born, planned that we might know him. He planned that he would save us, that we would enter into relationship with him. He's also planned us for good works. That, that, that yes, we, we believe, and that is, that is the, the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our salvation is putting our trust in the king But then he has planned from the beginning of time good works that we would walk in. That there is a lifestyle to match the Christian belief. These are not separate ideas. Uh, Continue with me in in James 2. This is going to be a longer section. I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to be in James 2, verses 14 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, you can just Google that. James 2, 14 through 26 uh, in the English Standard Version. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And this is, this is a really heavy passage. There's way more in there that, that I can cover in just a couple minutes. But, but James makes this point that faith apart from works is dead. And he even uses this term. He says that, that we are justified by our works. And for those of us that may have been in the church a while, that might sound weird because we, we also throw this phrase around that we are saved through faith alone. And James says you're not saved by faith alone, but also works. So, so how do we reconcile this? Well, sorry, justified, not saved, justified. When Paul, in the book of Romans, speaks of us being justified by faith alone, it is that when we trust God, we are made right with God by faith. And, and there's nothing that we can do to add to that. There, there's no good work we can do to persuade God to forgive us more. It is simply trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that we are declared right with God through faith. But that faith is proven, right? This term justified in James really refers to vindication, that our faith is proven true through work. And and that's the point that, that James makes. He says, faith apart from works is dead. What we believe affects our actions. What we believe affects our actions. He says, look, if if a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and they're needy and you just say, oh, go, be warm, be filled, you're going to be okay. He says, there's a disconnect there. You don't really believe in what God's calling you to do. You don't believe that God's going to provide for them because God's called you to provide for them. And he gives some excellent examples of how there was an action that evidenced that a biblical um, person's faith was genuine. So, so for the Christian life, our, our, our faith and our works cannot be separated. You cannot have one without the other. And, and, and now I'd like to turn our attention to two less comfortable passages in Scripture. I'd like to turn to two judgment passages. The first one is in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 21. These are the words of of Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here, here Jesus kind of pulls back the curtains at, at when he judges the living and the dead at the end of all time. And he says that there are going to be people on that day that say, God, we did amazing things in your name. We, we, did, we did miracles. We, 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 we were the super believers. We cast out demons. We prophesied. We did many mighty works. And yet, and yet God says, I never knew you. That, that there was plenty of, of action. There was plenty of action that, that, that on the outside it looked like this was just a very spiritual person. But when it came to what was going on in the heart and the mind, these people didn't know God. There wasn't a relationship there. There, there was a disconnect between belief and action. Satan can get us to a place where we are doing all of the right things for the wrong reasons. I mean, isn't that, isn't that true? That, that, that we, can, we can be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. That we can be generous, caring people. And, and we can be doing it out of our own pride. We can be doing it out of our own insecurity. I mean, I can have two different weeks as a pastor where one week, I mean, in both weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same duties in the church. And one week, I'm doing it with the right attitude of serving God. And the other week, I might be doing it selfishly. We can be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And in this case, there are people who had this had a life full of these, these amazing acts of serving God, but it, it, there was a disconnect there. They didn't know him. And they're judged because of it. They're sent away from God's presence. And if you flip over a few pages, uh, the next section is in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be in verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You know, back in those days, they put the sheep with the goats together and you have to separate them, right? When it came time to, to do some shearing or some processing. Verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly, I say to you. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you 
did it to me. So we have this group of people on the right that are referred to as the righteous. They are, they are right with God. And, and, and when God declares his blessing over them, that they are able to come into his kingdom that was prepared for them from the foundations of the world. He says, look, you took care of me. And they say, when did we take care of you? And he says, when you took care of, of your brothers and, and sisters, when you fed them, when you cared for them, when you visited them, you were doing it to me. That when we serve the people in the church, the church is the body of Christ. When we serve our brothers and sisters, we are serving God himself. And so these people didn't even really, didn't, maybe didn't even have that complete perspective, but the reality was they were serving God, that their actions matched the relationship. Their actions matched the belief. But in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from ye, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison. You did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's, there's a group over here that they, they seem to recognize Jesus as Lord. But, but there never was a lifestyle of doing good to others. There, there was not this lifestyle of loving other brothers and sisters, caring for their needs, that, that flows out of, out of a love for God. And so the, the ones over here, they go into you know, eternal life in the kingdom and over here to eternal torment and destruction. I mean, this is a very serious, somber passage. And so when we put James together with this and we take these two sections in Matthew, we see that it is possible to have our actions, uh, to have this just this big mound of good works and actions, and it does us no good because we don't know God. And, and we might even be in this position where we think that we know God, but our lifestyle proves that we don't. What James said in, in, in chapter three, he says, look, the demons believe and they shudder. Simply believing in God isn't complete, right? There, there needs to be this connection that it's a faith that produces a certain lifestyle. We're saved through faith alone, but that faith is evidenced through works. So, so this is an issue for the action-oriented and the belief-oriented because we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And, and we can truly believe, well, not truly believe, but we can think we believe, but it never produces anything. We can think that the Christian life is just a mind game, that it's just a, a theology, and it's more than that because true belief means that there's a reality that, that, that requires action. As Christians, we are saved through faith, and our salvation is evidenced by works. 
So I, I have a question for you. This is kind of a silly question. But I'm infamously known for certain hobbies and activities around here. Evidence of that is that at, at my daughter's um, baby shower, we received a number of objects that were either fishing-related or had mushrooms on them. Uh, almost a freakish amount of objects that, that were related to those two things. So, so how do you know that I like to forage for mushrooms in the woods and I like to fish? How do you know? I would argue that it's a combination of belief and action. You, you, you see that, that I, uh, I internally enjoy these things because I talk about them. It's not a show. It's not a mask. That, that if you, you know, get me, uh, you, you meet me in the store or you have me over to your house, it's probably going to come out eventually that there's a fishing story or, man, I, I found this mushroom the other day. But then if you look at my lifestyle, I actually appear and, and do these things that you might actually see me fishing. You go to my office, and it's full of fishing gear. You go to my house, and I have a big shelf of books, and the majority of them are fishing books or foraging books. Some of you have been with me to go fishing or foraging. These are things that you see both evidence in my actions, and, and, and it comes out in how I talk, and you can see that, it, that it's truly something that's both internal and external. I have plenty of other hobbies, but there's a disconnect sometimes. There, there might be a hobby that I say I really like, but I do it like, you know, once a year. Because really, I don't like doing it that much. I just think I do. And sometimes, are, are there not things that we do very often in our lives that we hate? There needs to be this combination of talk and action, belief and action, faith and works. As Christians, we are saved through faith, and our salvation is it's evidenced by works. So, so, so let, let, let's kind of rewind, right? We talked about these two extremes. You have the old-school Mainer American mindset. Believe what you want to believe. Just live the American way. And this, this kind of this, this version of Marxism that says it doesn't matter, mora- like morality doesn't matter. Reli- you know, uh, dis- disregard religion. You need to believe what we believe. You need to affirm what we affirm. You need to view the world the same way we view the world. And, and we, we, we said that, that this is generally something that's prospering among young people. And that this mindset is generally more present in older folks. But, but that's, that's not entirely accurate, right? I mean, this kind of thinking has been around longer than any of us have been alive. And there are plenty of young, young people running around here that, that are more old school than some of you who are in your 80s. But these, these are generalizations. These are generalizations. When we look at our culture in older generations and, and this emphasis on works without recognizing the need for knowing God, uh, specifically in the church, we, we, we see a few things. Uh, one, of the, one of these is an emphasis on laws to control morality. That if we can just pass the right laws, everything's going to be fine. Because if we can control people's actions, we control, I mean, everything's going to be great. And that's not really true, right? Because you can try to suppress a person's actions, but they still have a heart and a mind, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't pass laws. I'm not saying that. But it's this emphasis, man, if we can just outlaw this and outlaw this, we're going to deal with the issue. You can outlaw a drug without ever touching the addiction, 
Prohibition is, is, a, is a clear example of that, is it not? Another, another smaller example is, is shotgun marriages. And this is something that's this kind of phasing out, out of style. And, and obviously, I'm a big proponent of marriage. Huge proponent of marriage. But sometimes what happens with a shotgun marriage is that you have a young couple in the Christian community, and, and, and they, they, they sleep together, and there's a, there's a pregnancy from that. And our response is, we'll just get married quick so that no one knows, and everything's going to be okay. And what we're kind of saying there is all that really matters is the action. If we can get you living in marriage so you're not sinning anymore, then everything's going to be okay. But what often happens is because we just kind of push it under the rug, we force them to get married quick, we don't give them the counseling and discipleship to deal with the sin issues that caused that sin in the first place. And when we don't deal with the sin issues, when we don't deal with what's going in the heart in the mind it just bubbles up and bubbles up and bubbles up and the relationship just dissolves and falls apart very quickly i've seen it happen in so many of my friends it doesn't happen in every case but it's a pattern certainly people should get married certainly but but what 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 also matters is what's going on in the heart and the mind we can't just fix a person's actions and then think that everything's going to be okay the heart needs to be addressed as well as I mentioned previously, we see this emphasis in, in a lot of smaller dying churches on works, that it's either legalism, the Christian faith is all about do-nots and do's, or, or you have the, the social justice, older, liberal mindset that it doesn't matter what you believe, just live the principles of Jesus. And both of these really see, uh, there's a point where they cease to be genuine Christianity. Because you're not drawing people to the gospel. You're just saying, man, if we can get everyone acting a certain way, everything's going to be fine. And that's not true. And, and, and even, even in evangelism, I think this older mindset on, of evangelism is often an emphasis on the work of evangelism rather than the message of evangelism. Right? That if I just put in the work, if I just knock on enough doors, I'm being faithful. But there, there is a point as Christians that maybe we should evaluate how we're trying to share the gospel with people. How is God's word connecting to our culture, right? Evangelism isn't just about sharing the Romans road with as many people as you can in a given day. But there is a place for us to try to better understand how we share God's word with people so they can have a better chance to respond. And, and, and in younger generations, where there, there's, there's, there's more of this emphasis on believing the same things than living the same way. We, we, we see this intense desire to be part of a movement without really doing anything. Right? And, and, and now I'm getting to the part that's kind of hurting me, where I'm starting to you know, kind of at and attack myself, because I, I am in that younger age group, there's this intense desire to be part of a movement that, that on my social media, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in a few emojis or hashtags to show different movements that I support in my bio. I'm going to add a frame or a filter to my profile picture to show that I support this movement. I'm going to share this post. And it's very much this battle of just telling people what I believe, but there's very little action to go behind that movement. 
It's mostly done behind a computer. And, and this really represents this idea that what matters most is that we all believe the same things. It doesn't really matter if we live the same way or that there's action to, 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 uh, to uphold our beliefs. Just we really need to believe the same thing. We need to affirm the same people and the same movements. That we're going to be really involved in social media, but, but not really that involved in our actual community that we live in. That, that as young people, often we like to post, share, and complain left and right with no action. Statistically, right, my generation has, has some of the lowest giving and church involvement of any previous generations. And, I, and I'm referring to the, the people in my generation that are actually in the church. As, as, as young people, often we like, to, we like to be around and we like to, you know, complain about what the church has done wrong in the past and how the church needs to fix this and better address this social issue, but we never do anything about it. Right? And, and this is a complex trend, and I recognize I've probably overgeneralized things. I've probably misspoken about things. But the point is that we need to draw closer to the Bible's message that as Christians, we are saved through faith and our salvation is evidenced by works. That, that no matter which side of this spectrum that we tend to lean on because of our cultural baggage, the Bible calls us here. That, that when it comes to our Christianity, we would, be, we would be grounded in our faith. We would know the word of God well. And that that would lead to a fruitful life and ministry. And here's the beautiful thing when it comes to differences between generations. Is that our vision here for Hollis Center Church is to be a multi-generational church. We do not want to be just the church for elderly people or just the church for young people or just the church for kids or just the church for middle-aged families. We want to be a multi-general church because that's what we believe the kingdom of God looks like. And, and the beauty of that is we get to exist in a community where we get to teach each other and direct each other. Probably one of the greatest blessings of serving in this church is that we have, we have a board of elders. So that there, are, there are six older godly men that serve as elders here and that Caleb and I get to, to co-pastor with, with Pastor Ron, you know, who is, who is our senior pastor growing up. And there have been countless times we were as, as a 20-something-year-old pastor, I've had, had one of these men kind of redirect me. <laughs> or maybe I would have said something in a way that shouldn't have been said or would have tried to do something that was moving a little too quickly. Whatever it is, it is such a blessing to be in a place where there, there, are, there are godly older people who can direct me. And can, and can help temper some of my, my youthfulness. And, and on the flip side of that, uh, there have been plenty of times where, where younger people in this church have made points, and the leadership's gone, oh yeah, we should probably do that. And there have been new ideas that have been brought in. That There's something really beautiful that happens when, when God's church is diverse. That, that, that it's not a bunch of people with the same cultural baggage and the same ideas, but we come together under the banner of the cross and we can learn from each other. We can grow. As Christians, we are saved through faith and our salvation is evidenced by works. And when we look at those, those judgment passages, we, we, should, we should tremble a little bit. 
Because we need to be and we desire to be a place where genuine faith produces genuine action. And we never want to get to that place where we say our theology is where it needs to be and we're all set. And we never want to be in this place where we say, well, look what we're doing in the community so it really doesn't matter, you know, what what we think about the Bible. No, these things are inseparable. We, We can't divorce them from each other. And I think personally, this is a time for us to evaluate where we may have strayed. We should ask ourselves the question, how well do I know God? Isn't that a, isn't that a weird question? See, especially if we grew up in this mentality, well, how well do I know God? Often the things we use to measure our faith are actions. And we say, well, I'm serving in this ministry and, and this ministry, and I, I'm not smoking anymore, and I'm not drinking anymore, and so I'm not doing these things, and I'm, now I'm doing these things, and so that must mean I know God? Well, no. We can we not know God and still have a really good life. Right? And, and on, the, on the flip side, we can know the Bible really well. We can study it left and right. We can be a very spiritual person. And yet, if it never produces action, it means we really don't believe it. Right? This is a time to evaluate, and maybe, maybe for some of, some, some of you listening, that, that this really is a moment where you realize, I'm not even saved. This is a chance to, to, to believe and repent, to come talk to us so we can work you through that. But, but for all of us who are Christians, we need to continually check that we do not stray too far to either one of these, because that can be a dangerous path. We want to be strong in faith and in action. We should ask ourselves, do I live like I believe? When I look at my money, when I look at my time, what percentage of it is being used in the service of God? When it comes to my friendships, do I live like I don't care if my friends and family go to hell? And that's a blunt way to say it, but I think we need to hear it sometimes. If we believe there's a heaven and a hell, we believe that there's a savior and there's a devil. And that should change the way that we interact with people. It's not like, hey man, you do you. You believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. No. I I want to persuade you. I want to draw you away from that so that you can experience relationship with your creator. And ultimately, we will never be balanced in this unless this gospel is central. We will never be balanced in this unless the gospel is central. There is no church program that can fix this. There is no a little discipleship book that can fix this. Ultimately, we need to be centered on, on what Ephesians talked about. Jesus came down. He died for us. That when we put our trust in him, we're saved. We're made right with God. And it's not a result of works that we can boast from. But because of that, we know that we have a purpose in this life, that we are Christ's workmanship, that he's using us, he's doing a mighty work through us to love others, to serve God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. When we, when, when we know the good news, it means that we have a purpose. And, and so it, it, would be, it would be my, my prayer today that that for those of you that maybe don't believe that you would, 
you recognize that really you're all action and you don't really know God or, or you, you really study God, but there's really not a lifestyle to match. Like, come talk to us. Let's, let's work through that. Well, let's turn to the gospel and, and let's pray together right now. Oh, Lord. We're all sinners. And I, I pray that, that in the places where maybe we've, we've made our life all about action and we've neglected our relationship with you, we've neglected prayer, that you would draw us back to relationship and belief. And, and in the places where maybe we've become obsessed with what we think, but we do very little, that you would give us a passion to live for you, to live out the principles that we believe, the principles we find in your word. I pray for those uh, that are listening today that do not know you, that, that, that this would be that turning point that they confess their sins, that they, they repent and they believe, and that you lead them in a life of being your workmanship. Lord, help us to glorify you this week, and we thank you for the time we've had in this little series. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.